Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to the first podcast of Black Doctors Speak. I'm Dr. Michael Noll, the host of this podcast. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, allergist, and immunologist. I'm the past president of the National Medical Association, the Organization of African American Physicians. Our program is designed to provide the latest information from inside the healthcare system on what doctors are saying when you're not around. We're sponsored by the African American Wellness Project in Oakland. The mission of this project is to provide you with enough information to better deal with the healthcare system. Too often, African-Americans suffer unnecessarily because they're not treated exactly the same way as other ethnic groups. Our intent is to provide you with information and techniques to make certain that you get the kind of health care you and your family deserve. Make no mistake, the health care system treats African-Americans differently, and that affects your health outcomes. The situation is described by many in the health industry, and it is an industry, as a health care disparity. It's not about the disease. It's about being black. In America. So we want to act as your advocate so that you can go into the system fully informed about how to present your issues to your provider, how to understand your treatment, and how to get improved outcomes. Each week we'll bring you a new summary of the latest information from our journals and research on African American health. Take the topics like diabetes, heart disease, issues of mental health, and discuss it with one of the world's experts with a specific focus on how it relates to African Americans. And finally, we'll tell stories about people dealing and struggling with these issues in the healthcare system. We want to be your eyes and ears in the healthcare system. And I'm here with my executive producer, Jason James. Thank you so much, Dr. Lenore, for having me on episode one. I'm super excited. I know this has been a long process for us. We've been working on this one for a while, and I'm really, really excited to get this out into the world and, and, and see what we can do for our community. Oh, there's no question. We, we feel very strongly that the information that we have and the information we're going to get is health information they can't get anywhere else. Because we'll be talking to the most famous African-American physicians across the country about the things they're concerned about in response to health problems in our communities. Right. And I know we can't give too much away, but we do have a really great slate of guests uh, coming up. So I'm really excited about that as well. Um, but for this episode, what I really, you know, I'm interested in is you're going to be sharing kind of a personal story with us about how you as a physician are actually struggling with your own sickness. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And I thought that if they went with me on this journey, as I sought both diagnosis and treatment, I feel a part of a community and it makes it easier for me. It is something that is inspiring, no matter what healthcare issues you may be going through as an African American. It is great to have an example of how we can manage these. And so, um, what we'll be hearing coming up is your personal journey with this, your conversations with your doctors, your conversations with uh, healthcare ex- experts in the industry, 
and you'll kind of be leading us on what this journey has been like for you from the time you found out until right now. And so I think we, we can go to that. I have prostate cancer, and I'm surprised. I don't know why. So many of my very good friends have prostate cancer. But I find it to be, even as a physician, a doctor, a very confusing disease. Since so many African-American men have prostate cancer, I thought I'd invite you to go along with me on my journey of my evaluation and management of prostate cancer. Before we start, I want you to know that I have an intermediate grade disease and a good prognosis, but I'm not unconcerned. My journey with prostate cancer began early one September morning when I had an appointment with my primary care physician, Dr. Brazil Carter. I only went so he could validate how healthy I was, and for most of the physical, that all went well. At the end of the physical, he suggested that I get a digital rectal exam. Of course, I didn't want one, and I tried to get out of it. First, I asked him, and since there's some controversy as the value of the digital rectal exam, does he still use it? Yes, I do still use digital rectal exams. I think when you're examining a patient, you need to use all your senses in terms of helping to make a diagnosis. Still trying to get out of it, I asked, does he get much pushback from men, especially African-American men, when he suggests a digital rectal exam? Initially, yes, but after explaining to them the importance of it and the necessity of it and the highest risk of uh, cancer in, in African-American men, uh, I'd say 85 to 90 percent relent and say yes, we have to do it. In fact, some will even come in requesting that you do it. So I found no excuse to, to avoid the digital rectal. It was unpleasant but not painful. After I got dressed, I saw the look on his face which suggested that something was wrong. He then informed me that when he did the exam, he felt a lump in my prostate, and that needed further investigation. Of course, as a doctor, I immediately thought terminal prostate cancer and asked him what was my next step. He suggested that I get a PSA, prostate-specific antigen, traditionally used to screen men for prostate cancer, but more recently coming under disfavor to the point where certain organizations like the American Cancer Society has suggested that men over 70, which I am, don't need to get a PSA or a digital rectal. I asked Dr. Carter if he thought a PSA was really useful. Yes, indeed. I think the PSA is a, is a useful test because the early detection of prostate cancer, especially if you're in a high-risk group, is vitally necessary. Even if you just have one test done in a lifetime, I think you, it should be done to identify those people at risk. So now I leave his office, my mood completely changed, with the thought of having a serious problem with prostate cancer, off to the laboratory to get a PSA. The very next morning I was in the lab, got the blood drawn, and then comes the waiting period. You don't get the result right away. It takes several days and happened to be a time when all the lights went out so that I didn't get that result for approximately five days. At that time, I expected my PSA to be in the hundreds, but it was seven, but not the 700 I had imagined in my own mind. So now I go back to Dr. Carter to find out my next steps, and I ask him, when you have to tell men they have prostate cancer, what is the usual response? Well, I usually, I usually don't tell them, I don't usually don't come right out and say, I think you have prostate cancer. What I usually do is tell them, look, your PSA is elevated. But there are other reasons for the PSA to be elevated. It could be 
you know, it could be a lab error. It could be that the prostate is inflamed. There's other reasons. So we then embark on a series of other things that we do that they repeat the test to get a urinalysis, make sure there's not an infection. And if the tests are persistently elevated and rising over the next three to six months, then referrals made to a urologist for further tests. You know, when I talk to most men about prostate cancer, they think it's a death sentence. But my research shows that most men with prostate cancer can be treated in some way. The prognosis is very good in terms of early detection. If you have prostate cancer and it's detected and treated, I think the incidence of you have dying from it are eight to one. If you have prostate cancer and get it treated either through radiation or surgery, your chances of cure, cure are very high. Do you ever have the situation where men diagnosed with prostate cancer choose not to do anything? Or you pick it up so late because there's never been screening. Do you ever think what a pity it is that they didn't take better care of themselves. Absolutely. I mean, everyone has to make decisions for themselves as to what they, how they want to be treated. I certainly there's a, uh, the, the word cancer altogether, but understanding the fact that this is, can be treated as a localized cancer and can be removed, such as women in breast cancer who have a, who find a lesion early in, in that, on in the course of the disease, have it removed and treated, their chances of survival are also. So now I'm engaged. I'm starting to read. But the more I read, the more questions I have. So I consulted a colleague of mine, Dr. Mac Roach. Dr. Roach is a professor of radiation oncology and urology in the Department of Radiation Oncology at the University of California, San Francisco. He's an expert in the treatment of localized prostate cancer, especially in African-American men. I wanted to ask him about some of the myths around prostate cancer. First of all, is it just a disease of older men? Well, our definition for older men has changed over the years as we've gotten older. You know, the median age is 66, which means half of the men are younger than 66 and half of the men are older than 66. Now, for the young guys, that seems like an old age, 66. I mean, people frequently will retire at 65. So, it, uh, but, but it's a bell-shaped distribution. And African-American men tend to get prostate cancer about five years earlier than, than whites. So whether 65 or 66 is old or not is a, is a, is a matter of opinion and a matter of perspective. I have patients that are 70 years old that are still running marathons, and I have patients that are 50 years old that are in terrible shape. So I think that rather than focusing so much on age as a number, I think you really need to look at the physiologic age. So let's talk about the PSA. Most people associate it with prostate cancer. But is the PSA really a test for cancer? Well, no, not really. If you, if you look what PSA stands for, it stands for prostate specific antigen. So it predominantly comes from the prostate. So if you have infection, it can be elevated. If you have a big prostate, it can be elevated. And so it doesn't mean that you have cancer if you have an elevated PSA. Now, the normal PSA is generally said to be less than four. But if you look at patients with PSAs between four and 10, 
if you biopsy them, only about 25% of them have cancer. So the PSA is a good screening test in terms of looking at people that have high volume disease, but even a normal PSA does not mean you don't have prostate cancer. There was one study done many years ago, they took men and they did radical prostatectomies on them and they looked at the relationship between the size of the tumor in the prostate and the PSA level. And it turns out that, that there is a relationship between the size of the tumor and the PSA, but the correlation between the size of the tumor and the PSA really doesn't kick in until the PSA went over about nine. So if you're a normal guy walking down the street and your PSA is three, it doesn't mean you don't have prostate cancer. If you're an older guy and your PSA is eight, it doesn't mean you do have prostate cancer. So compared to other tests, it's a pretty good test, but it's not specific for cancer. So what about the old adage that if you don't have symptoms, you don't have prostate cancer? We used to think that all the time. Most cancers don't cause symptoms until they're advanced. 75% of men that are diagnosed with prostate cancer have no symptoms. Most men who have urinary symptoms don't have prostate. And to develop, it's not, around, it's not around the urethra. It's usually around the edges of the prostate. And that part doesn't usually cause symptoms. And so if a man has symptoms, you should not you should see your doctor, but it doesn't mean you have cancer. If, if you had advanced stage prostate cancer, what kind of symptoms would you have? Well, before PSA screening, a lot of men presented with obstruction. They couldn't pee or it had metastasized. They would present with bone pain. After screening became popular, those kinds of presentations became very rare. And then when the U.S. Preventive Task Force discouraged screening again and primary care doctors stopped doing screening, we started to see more people that presented with obstruction again. But really, uh, you should never wait until you have symptoms. If you wait till, if you have symptoms from prostate cancer, then usually it means it's pretty advanced. So the more common things would be uh, problems starting your urine or bone pain. Another thing that gave me confidence that I really didn't need to do much about the possibility of prostate cancer was that it was not common in my family. One of my brothers did have it, but my other brothers did not, and my father, my uncles, and my grandfather did. Is it always a disease that runs in families? The fact that it, run, it does run in families, but most people that get prostate cancer don't have a family history. That's true of all the cancers. All cancers tend to run in families, but um, time, risk, of a black man developing prostate cancer is about almost is like twice as much as for white men developing prostate cancer, but the risk is still low. Yeah, well, you know, one of the other pieces of that kind of goes along with that. I was always, you know, since I was on the fringes, it's not my specialty, is that prostate cancer is slow growing, so I really don't have to worry about it. Well, there, there, okay, so when we talk about prostate cancer, we frequently confuse people because we act like it's one disease. From the standpoint of people that treat patients with prostate cancer, we usually divide patients up into three general categories. Low-risk prostate cancer, intermediate-risk prostate cancer, and high-risk prostate cancer. 
The patients that have low-risk prostate cancer, if they're older, most times we recommend no treatment because they're slow-growing, they're not likely to spread, and the side effects of treatment are not worth the treatment. But the men who tend to die of prostate cancer, and we, you know, something like 40,000 men die a year of prostate cancer, so there's there's a significant number of men dying. They present typically with intermediate risk or high-risk disease, and, and most of the deaths are due to high-risk prostate cancer. But high-risk prostate cancer only represents somewhere between 10 and 20%, depending upon how you define it, what age group, what population. So let's just say 15%. And then um, so there's a fair number of patients with intermediate-risk disease and a fair number of patients with low-risk disease. So you need to figure, so if, you're present, if you get diagnosed with prostate cancer, you need to find out whether you have low-risk disease, intermediate-risk disease, or high-risk disease. In men who have high-risk disease, treatment is usually indicated. If you have a lot of medical problems, if they have high-risk disease, they benefit from treatment. Another thing that has bothered me. One of the other issues, probably one of the most important issues in the African-American community is the fact that African-American men may have a different type of prostate cancer. They're sicker when diagnosed. They die more often. Uh, And so consequently, it appears that the kind of cancer that they have is much worse than the kind of cancer that the rest of America has. Is that the case? So fundamentally, the answer is no. If an African-American man and a white man are both have the same PSA, the same grade of tumor, the same number of positive biopsies, and they get the same quality of treatment. There's absolutely no good evidence that there's a difference in outcome. So African-American men do as well. The problem is that number one, African-Americans tend to get poor quality care. There are studies that show that if uh, the African-American man is more likely to be operated on at a hospital that doesn't have the experts, they're more likely to be operated on by a resident, they're less likely to be managed by experts. But if you look at the, the best data to answer the question of whether there's a biologic difference is the data from randomized trials where people come in, there's certain eligibility criteria to enroll in the study, and the staging and the treatment and the follow-up are standardized. And in those studies, one study said the prostate cancer was more aggressive in African-American men, and three studies said that African-American men actually did better, and eight of the studies said that there was no difference in outcome. So the preponderance of evidence based on the highest level data that we have don't show a fundamental biologic difference. So for me, the key question is, why is prostate cancer more common in African-American men? You cannot dispute the fact that the mortality, the death rates are higher in African-American men than whites. And the reason the death rates are higher is because if you have a disease more commonly in your population and have equal outcomes, you're still going to have more deaths because the disease is more common. Cancers are constantly developing in people, but your immune system is going around getting rid of the cancer. If your immune system is compromised by stress, 
which could include things like racism, unemployment, bad diets, bad lifestyle. These other factors and a white man have exactly the same amount of, they come in the same PSA, the same tumor grade, and the same clinical stage, and they get the same treatment. Race is not, is not important. But there are other hypotheses. So, for example, black people have a preference to having meat well done. So anytime you, you char your barbecue or you, or you cook your toast, things get burnt. Those burnt things create heterocyclic compounds or different kinds of chemicals that are associated with burning. They may be somewhat carcinogenic. So we don't know exactly why African-American men have a higher incidence of prostate cancer, but uh, there's work being done to try to figure that out. Prostate cancer is not inherently more aggressive than African-American men. All right, so those were some of my big concerns. You know, I, I think my PSA was maybe three or four years ago was like three, eight, four, right in there. I think at that point I decided, you know, so many guys get the PSA, get biopsied four or five times, and then whether or not they're treated or not uh, is somewhat of a um, of a conundrum. And so, um, consequently, I, when I got that last PSA, I was already in my 70s. Um, my PSA was, at that time was like 4.2 from like, was I wrong to just wait around? There are major uh, organizations that don't recommend screening in men over the age. Some people use 75, some people use 70, some people use 65. If your PSA is not elevated by a certain age, I don't happen to agree with that philosophy. I think that it's okay to screen for prostate cancer. It's even okay to diagnose prostate cancer and then decide whether the prostate cancer needs to be treated or not based on what you find. Because the life expectancy is pretty high. It's, it's, you know, it's like 85 or whatever. And my father's 90, right? So, um, so there are people that are going to live a long time, and you may benefit from treatment because what you don't want to have happen is the cancer spread, and you might live a long time, but you may spend the last 10 years of your life being castrated with medications that take away your testosterone, which will cause you to become weak and anemic, cause you to lose muscle mass, reduce your libido, and so forth. So if you can be cured of prostate cancer, or if you can be treated in such a way as to delay the progression for it to spread by 10 years, then you might, the last 10 years of your life might have a higher quality uh, of life. And, uh, you know, it has to be individualized based on the grade of your tumor, the extent of disease, and also other medical problems that you may or may not have. But I, I think that your, your strategy was, was not uh, particularly uh, unusual or inappropriate. Yeah, mine was not based on science, but like so many other, I just didn't want any bad news. There are people, there are doctors who do primary care mm -hmm. who don't recommend screening for prostate cancer, period. I'm glad to hear that my decision-making did not lead to an absolute medical disaster. However, I must admit it was not based on science, but just based on the fact, like so many of my colleagues and friends, I didn't want any bad news. And there's so much confusion around prostate cancer that it's easy to make a decision not to get screened and not to um, get examined. All right, we're going to hold that part discussion for just a minute. I, I, I know that once, you know, it still, it still always amazes me that even 
though the PSA may not be the most accurate uh, test in the world, doesn't always tell you about prostate cancer, and the digital, digital record doesn't always pick it up, why wouldn't you want any information? I mean, what, what, what I understand the arguments, and we, I don't think we want to, we don't take your valuable time to engage in those that too often, too many times, unnecessary surgery is done, and the cost of all of that stuff that surrounds unnecessary procedures and processes with prostate cancer is probably just immense. So why, why, what is the argument against getting a PSA or a digital rectal just to have another piece of information? I mean, I just have never understood why you would argue against that, not what people do with the results. No, but see, what you have to do is you have to understand the pendulum swings, just like the pendulum swung toward Obama and liberal politics, and then the pendulum swung back to conservative politics. The pendulum swing. Those people that have argued against screening were using data that was generated at a time when patients with low-risk prostate cancer were being treated and not being managed by active surveillance. So those people that argued against screening were basing their arguments on that. But what happened was simultaneous with their recommendations is the doctors who were doing the treatment of people with low-risk disease, they, we switched our policy to active surveillance. So it, there was an overcompensation. They assumed, those people that said you shouldn't screen, they assumed that the doctors were still going to be continuing to treat people who didn't benefit from treatment. But the doctors who were doing the treatment simultaneously decided that they would not treat people who didn't need to be treated. So what happened is we became, we meaning the medical community, became confused about the fact that we always needed to keep treating the people with intermediate risk and high-risk disease. There should have been more communication between the doctors who treat and the doctors who make recommendations to primary care doctors about prostate cancer. And as a consequence of that, diagnoses were delayed and lives will be lost because people who should have been screened and treated did not get screened and treated because the primary care doctors were told, don't screen people because if you screen them, those doctors are going to treat people who don't need to be treated. But in fact, the doctors who were treating doctors simultaneously decided we will no longer be treating people who don't need to be treated. My diagnostic study's done. It's now time to proceed and decide what kind of treatment, if any, do I want? Wow, Dr. Nanor, that was, um, that was amazing to listen to. You know, first, I want to thank you so much uh, for sharing your story with us and being willing to speak out about this. It, it takes the right amount of strength to do that. And I just want to let you know, we, you know, we appreciate that and we are here with you. Um, I also want to thank Dr. Carter and Dr. Roach for their contributions to that segment as well. Um, I understand, you know, just to give people an update on what's going on, that you just had your first round of radiation. Can I ask you how you're feeling? Well, Jason, I'm feeling really pretty good. I've chosen a form of radiation called the Cyberknife. Uh, it's a series of four treatments, relatively painless, without any side effects, consistent with what I need for the type of tumor that I have. I mean, that, that, 
that's really great to hear. I'm glad that, you know, you're feeling good and you're pushing through. Um, you know, one thing that really struck me as I was listening to all of that is the stigma around the test. And I think that especially for um, younger men in, in particular, what the prostate cancer test is like, what the stigma is around that and how that challenges a man's pride and, and the machismo that, that most men tend to have. It, it can be uncomfortable for a man to want to go get tested for prostate cancer. Is it really as, as bad as it's made out to seem? Well, I think the part of the, the testing you're talking about is the digital rectal exam. Um, and I think that it is unpleasant, but not uncomfortable. Uh, that it gives your doctor a, a lot of meaningful information. However, there's no question that there's some pushback by the African-American male community on getting this test. Uh, and I can understand perhaps there's, uh, it seems like some infringement on, on their manhood. Uh, but I think more and more younger people have started to understand the need to get the test. Younger, I mean, people between 50 and 70. Uh, and I think there's less pushback than there used to be. Paradoxically now, though, many doctors don't feel that the digital rectal examination is that helpful and will skip it to go to other less intrusive testing. Well, great. At least now we know there are other options around that, and, and that's very promising. Another thing that really struck me was the idea of family history. Um, as African Americans, we know that uh, in the history of this country, there are not great records kept about our lineage. Most of us cannot trace our ancestors back. And with the fact that, you know, we live in areas where great records may not be kept or we may not have contact with certain parts of our families, how do we rely on family history to know if there's something we should be getting screened for? It, it would seem almost that we can't, that we just have to assume that we have almost everything and get tested for it because we can't trace it back to a grandfather or a great-grandfather or a parent. I thought Dr. Roach's answer to that was interesting. He said that most men with prostate cancer don't have a family history. One out of every eight men will get prostate cancer at some point in their lives. But it is important that if your grandfather had it, your father had it, your brother has it, you need to start being surveyed at age 40 because the earlier you pick it up, the better you can follow it along and the more likely you ought to have a good outcome. But even if you don't have a family history, I think you ought to get a couple of tests in your 50s, a couple of tests in your 60s. For the life of me, I can't understand why any man would not want to have that as a piece of information. What you do with that information depends upon your own opinion based upon the facts that you know. Right. So another thing that was brought up was the idea that the disparities in the treatment options and facilities um, in predominantly African-American areas can contribute to a higher death rate. You've been a doctor for decades. Would you say that that, that is true? That's absolutely true. Because too often, when we come to issues about what's more prevalent in the African-American community, there's so many other factors other than the disease. Um, not only in our lifestyles, our exposures to certain kinds of chemicals uh, and environmental circumstances, but also the way we're treated in the system. So what the, the point that Dr. Roach made was that African-Americans do just as well as any other American if, in fact, they come to the disease with the same uh, background 
and the same low-level risk factors. And so consequently, I thought that was a, an amazing piece of information because it's true in almost every chronic disease. We're having the same problem with the coronavirus. There's nothing unique about the coronavirus in African-Americans. There's no genetic defect that makes African-Americans more susceptible to serious disease. It has to do with the fact that we come to the disease so, so much sicker, with so much more tension and pressure because not only of physical factors, but environmental racism and the other things that go on in this country that impact African-Americans. Systemic racism can be one of the greatest exacerbating factors of disease in the African-American community. Is that correct? That certainly seemed to be the case that um, Dr. Roach made, that when you bring to the table, when you have any potentially chronic disease, as African-Americans, a whole variety of social determinants that other ethnic groups don't face. Not only is it the environment, the diet, the lack of competent care, and with what we're dealing with these days, it's just the pressure of being black in America. Absolutely. It's definitely a contributing factor. Um, and one that, you know, hopefully begins to get addressed in this country. Um, the irony of us having this conversation today is that we are discussing prostate cancer, a disease that affects men, on Father's Day. And so what would you say is the best gift we can give to the fathers and father figures in our lives? Jason, the greatest gift you can give to your father, grandfather, stepfather, father-in-law, is to make sure they get regular checkups and regular testing. It may not be a bad idea for you to go with them to their doctor. Too often I see situations where I get histories from men, and then they bring their wives or significant others in on the next visit and get a whole different history. Maybe not deliberately, but because they don't remember. So instead of getting one of those shirts that's too small, getting one of those ties they won't wear, getting them some kind of mechanical thing they can't use, make sure they get to the doctor as your gift on the next Father's Day. There have been studies that say that women uh, in, are the primary health care influencers in uh, households for African Americans. Yes, and there's no question that that's true, and especially in African American households. Women are the caregivers often taking care of other people, but they don't take care of themselves. We're doing this podcast not just for men who have prostate cancer, but so that everybody in the family can learn what needs to be done when the diagnosis of prostate cancer is made. And I can tell you that in my experience, when women come to the doctor with their men, I get a much more complete and accurate history. Sometimes I get a whole different history. So it's always a good idea to at least make one visit to the doctor with your significant other. Absolutely. Well, then I guess we need to celebrate that as well. And thank you to all those women who help us do that. And as men, hopefully this podcast helps educate us and inspire us to want to go handle that for ourselves. I think it's about time we start doing that. Well, Jason, I think that's all the time we have for this part of the journey. But I hope people will join us later in the month when I talk about how I was diagnosed, what options I had, what decisions I made, and what am I doing now. If you enjoyed our show, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join the conversation Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Black Doctors Speak. We're also on Twitter at Black Doctors Speak. And finally, if you're looking for resources on African American health issues, go to our website at BlackDoctorsSpeak.org. And always remember, 
help us you figure this asset. So protect it.